Well, are you ready for today's message? All right, good, me too. Since it's Mother's Day and a day that we celebrate women, I wanted to look at the life of a woman and a mother. And before I get started, I want you to know that this isn't a message just for moms. This is actually a message about faith. So don't tune me out and think this doesn't apply to me because God can take one message, one word, one thought and apply it to every circumstance in the room. You know, there are so many great examples of women and moms in the Bible, but I want to talk to you about a woman that you may not be familiar with. You might not know her name, but you would know her children. And that's kind of how motherhood is, right? Moms can feel overlooked. We can feel unseen, and, and sometimes like we lost our identity. I don't know how many times in my motherhood journey I've been referred to as, oh, you're Reese's mom, or, or Oliver's mom, or Grant's mom, or, or Pippa's mom. People may not know my name, but they know my children. That's why I always tell my children not to act a fool when we're in public. But what a gift that we've been given that more than knowing our name, we get to live and leave a legacy within our children that identifies us. This mom that we're going to learn from today lived in a time of poverty, injustice, slavery, and yet she had faith for her family. Her name is Jochebed, and she was the mother of Aaron, Miriam, and Moses. And while we don't know a lot about Jochebed's life, we can learn about her as we look at her children. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 2. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there. Um, if you don't, that's okay. We're going to put the words on the screen. But to catch you up on what's happening here, there's this guy named Pharaoh, and he was an Egyptian, and he started to get a little bit uneasy that the Israelites, or the people of God, that they were growing in numbers. He realized God kept multiplying and blessing his people as he does, and Pharaoh started to get scared, so he made an order that all Hebrew baby boys must be taken from their mom and thrown into the crocodile-infested Nile River. So let's pick up in Exodus 2, starting in verse 1. It says, About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon, Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find you one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, the mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Now, when I have read this passage, I've always looked at it through the lens of Moses. This is the story of his birth and, and God's hand of protection on him. But the reason that Moses has a story is because of the faith of his mother. If it weren't for the faith of his mother first, I wonder what Moses' story would have been like. 
You see, Jochebed isn't an inspiration because she's Moses' mom, but she's a hero of the faith because she went first. And because of that, I'm calling today's message, All Go First. I'd like to pray one more time as we get started. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. I ask that you would help me to communicate it just the way that you helped me to develop it. Let it touch hearts. We're open and we're ready. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the month of May is really a special month. It's usually when the weather starts to get nice. Um, it's Mother's Day. Strawberry fields start to open up. Um, school gets out. And it's my birthday month. That's right. My birthday is in exactly nine days. Um, if you're counting, that's May 17, a week from this coming Tuesday. And gifts are my love language, so do with that what you would like. I'm just kidding. The only gift I need from you today is to laugh at my jokes. Okay. Well, last year, I'll give better jokes. Last year was a really big birthday for me. I turned 40. Now, turning 40, that's significant. That's, that's worth a significant celebration. So for this very special birthday, a group of my friends wanted to take me out for a surprise birthday trip. And these girls went all out for me. And they kept everything a secret until just a few days before the trip. We were texting our, our drink orders because my friends know the way to my heart is a large Coke Zero from Sonic. And so we were communicating what we wanted to drink. And someone said, hey, send us what you want for a snack, too, because our dinner reservations are going to be kind of late. But, you know, in a group of friends, there's always that one friend that, like, should be the last to know the secrets because she can't keep the secrets. Well, we have her, and she texted back, oh, I don't want to eat before we go in the air. Now, a couple of things you should know. When my friends and I start texting, it's a constant, like, ping of text. Like, all the husbands that are married to my friends in this room probably know once we get started, it's constant. But as soon as my friend said this, it was crickets. Silence. Like, almost like they got on a different text thread to discuss, like, how they would divert me from, like, trying to figure this out. But it didn't work because I went on a full investigation. My mind was running wild what that could mean. I started asking my husband. I was like, I know I joked about wanting to go to Las Vegas. Like, are they secretly taking me to Vegas? Because I don't think I'm ready for that. And he said, I don't think they're doing anything. And so I went through a whole laundry list of things, and I determined, based on my research, after I eliminated a lot of possibilities, that my friends were going to be taking me to a trampoline park for my birthday. Now, there are a lot of reasons I came to this conclusion, none of which are important, but I was so convinced that I started to mentally prepare myself for what was going to happen. Jumping on a trampoline. Party day came, party squad came and picked me up, and we headed off to Kansas City. And as we got closer and closer to Kansas City, we started going in a direction that wasn't where I thought we would go to go to our trampoline park, you know? And I tried to play it cool and be really chill and not let them know that I knew what we were doing. But the more turns we took and the further we got away from, you know, civilization, I suddenly found myself less worried about the possibility of peeing my pants and now more worried about, am I going to make it home alive from this birthday trip? <laughs> well, we finally arrived at our destination. And when I say it was shady, like that's putting it nicely. 
we walked up to what was an old church, and they tap on the door, and then there's a whole lot of stuff that I can't even tell you what happened next to protect the innocent. But I'm like, what have my friends done? I'm too old to find new friends. But once we're inside, I don't see any trampolines. I see large mats all over the floor. And I'm having this whole internal conversation like, like, are we doing some kind of weird, like, marijuana yoga thing? Or like, what's, what's happening here? And they said, MJ, look up. It was an aerial silks class. You know where you roll yourself up in ribbon and hang from the ceiling? Now, part of me was relieved because everything that had happened in the last 10 minutes started to make sense, but also a little bit terrified. And my friend who initially spilled the beans about being in the air, she was like, aren't you so excited? To which I answered, yeah, you go first. So I don't know if it was the strong odor in the room or if we were just like, you know, Marissa only turns 40 once, but 90 minutes later, this is what we all looked like. What we all looked like. It was the most unexpected situation, and I never would have done it if someone hadn't said, I'll go first. I'll show you the way. There are situations and times in life where we are going to be unsure. We're going to think, I don't know that I can do this. This is heavy. This is hard. I don't know that I want to do this. And we'll need the faith of others to carry us through. That's why who you surround yourself with matters. But if all you do in life is rely on the faith of others, what's going to happen when they don't have the amount of faith you need or when they can't be there for you? You know, we have to have our own relationship with Christ. We have to know him for ourselves and learn to lean into him. I think the thing that stops us the most is the uncertainty of of not knowing what's going to happen. You know, blindly going into things is not comfortable. I don't know about you, but I like plan B, C, D, and E, as well as plan F, which is faith. But the Bible says in Hebrews that it is impossible to please God without faith, and those who sincerely seek him, he rewards. Jochebed had no guarantee what would happen to her baby boy. She had put all of her trust, all of her faith in God, and she wasn't someone who just casually believed in God. She had a real reliance and faith on God. She had the kind of faith that got her through, that got her from the trenches to the mountaintops, the kind of faith that didn't stop in the middle of the storm, but got her through the storm. The kind of faith that says, God, I trust you, so I'll go first. I'll take the, a step out and make a move and trust you to t- tell me my next one, and I'll trust you for the journey. Can you imagine what it must have been like for her? Pharaoh had just made this horrific order, and Jochebed is pregnant. This is before there were ultrasounds. There was no way to know if she was having a boy or a girl until the baby was born. Now, pregnancy already gives you enough to worry about. I can't imagine what this must have been like for her, how she must have laid awake at night praying, please, God, let this baby be a girl. And then the day comes where she goes into labor. She knows she's about to get birth. What must have been going through her mind? If this is a girl, we're good. If this is a boy, what are we going to do? How are we going to protect him? Are they going to come and take him before we even get to to see him, to kiss him, to hold him? And if we hide, what happens if they find us? What's going to happen to all of us? 
So she gives birth, and she finds out it's a boy, and, and what a rush of emotions. She must have been thinking, oh, this is my son. I love him so much. She's got so much joy, but she's also got this in the back of her mind, thinking like, I don't know what's going to happen. Just because she was a woman of great faith doesn't mean that she didn't have any questions. She probably felt like, why God? Why me? I've served you. I've done everything for you, and why is this happening to me? Why right now? Why this time? Can you imagine? She could have been so angry, but the Bible doesn't say that. It says in verse 2 that she saw that she had a special baby. Now, I can tell you, as a mom of four, all moms think they have special babies. And they are because they're your baby. But it was a different kind of special that Jochebed saw in Moses. This wasn't special in the natural. This was a special in the supernatural. I did a little reading on what it meant for her to say that Moses was a special baby. And and the translation breaks down that Jochebed had a vision that there was a mark of future excellency imprinted on Moses, which gave a promise of something extraordinary. When she looked at him, she said, there's something different about him. There's something special about this baby. And I began to wonder, how could she know that? How did she recognize that? I think she was able to recognize it because she was familiar with special things. This wasn't her first time to encounter the presence of God. She walked closely with God. She had a relationship with God before this moment. And she was able to recognize that her baby was special because she was familiar with the presence of God. You know, when you are familiar with something, you can recognize it easily. The way the lights are in this room, it looks very different for me to look at you than for you to look at me. And I can really only see like the first two rows, clearly. My husband is not sitting in either of the front rows. But if he were to shout, that's good, or yes, or come on, I wouldn't have to look over there and see him because I would recognize his voice because I know him. I have a relationship with him. I'm familiar with him. The best way to grow in your faith is to become familiar with the presence of God, to spend time with him, to read his words, to worship him, to talk to him, to press into him. No matter if you think, this is small, I can handle it on my own, or if you're like, this is too big. I need some help to carry this. In order to be familiar with the things of God, you have to spend time with God. When Jochebed looked at her son, she saw the gifts within him, and she was willing to do whatever it took to fight for his life and for his future. She didn't give up on her children. If you keep reading in Exodus, we see that Moses actually ran away from God. And I believe that she never stopped hoping and praying for son. I believe that she leaned back into this moment and remembered that there was a destiny on her child and proclaimed it over his life, even while he was running. And what happened? God spoke to him through a burning bush. Can I encourage some of you mothers today? Don't give up on your children. You know, moms have a unique a gift and ability to tap into the supernatural and see the destiny within our children. We don't just haphazardly give birth. You might not have planned for that baby, but God planned for that destiny. You didn't give birth to a kid. You gave birth to a calling. 
He had a plan for your child long before you ever knew them. And when we give birth, it's not this biological entity. It's so much more than that. We give birth to a destiny, to a calling, and we play a significant role in developing and cultivating that within our children by how we walk out our faith. Now, in no way do I think that this was easy for Jochebed. In fact, I think her faith was tested in this moment more than it had ever been before. She has this son that she knows is marked for greatness, and she knows that there is an order for his death. We get the advantage of reading the Bible in past tense. We get to see God come through, but she was walking this out in present tense. She didn't know the outcome of her story. But in order for us to have great faith, we have to walk through great testing. Or you could say, faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. Here she is. She has this child. I don't know if this plan came to her all at once or if it was just a series of steps that God showed her. But what I do know is that she saw his destiny and decided that she was going to do whatever it took to fight for his future. She could have been angry with God. We can all agree that this was a pretty crappy situation. If I were Jochebed, I think that my first response would have been anger. I think I would have wanted to quit, to whine, to complain. But Jochebed didn't do that. She determined that God's here and I'm standing. I'm not moving my ground. I'm going to fight for his life. She was determined to fight for the things of God in her children. This isn't a message just for mothers. This is a message for leaders. And we all lead something. And as a leader, as a person, there are times where we have to make a mark in the sand and take our stand. Because there's a real enemy out there whose only mission is to kill, steal, and destroy. The Bible says he's prowling around like a lion looking for someone to devour. And he's sneaky. He doesn't just come at you all at once. That's why we have to be built up in our faith so that when he comes, we can rise up and fight instead of sitting on the sidelines and being silent. Ephesians 6 says to put on the whole armor of God so that we'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Why would God give us armor if we were just going to sit comfortably on our Christian couches and never do anything? God has given us armor so that when, when the battle comes, we can enlist. I believe that God is saying to some of us today, you need to arise. You need to pick up your sword and your shield of faith and begin to fight. You need to begin to fight for your family. Fight for your future. Fight for your children. Fight for your co co-workers. Do you know you can be Jochebed in someone else's life? You can begin to see the destiny within people. Sure, in the natural, they may not be behaving, right? But you have the ability to look in the supernatural and see the destiny within them. And to start calling those things out. And to start speaking life into them. You see, we've got to be fighters. We've got to rise up and take authority. We've got to take back what the enemy has stolen. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of taking blow by blow by blow from the enemy. He may have won the round, but that doesn't mean he wins the battle. What we are facing may look challenging. It may look impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God works all things out. Jochebed was a fighter. She managed to hide this baby for three months. How she was able to do this, I do not know. Because I've had babies, and babies are loud. Babies cry. They make noise. Did I mention they cry? But she hid him. 
And it says, when she knew that she couldn't hide him any longer, she went and made a basket. She got the reeds and, and made her basket and she waterproofed it. And I imagine this is probably the best basket that she's ever made. I imagine as she was putting it together, she was probably praying over every piece saying, God, I trust you. I know you spoke a word. I don't see it. I don't feel it. But God, I'm trusting you. And I imagine when that basket was ready, she picked up her three-month-old that she'd been hiding and, and nurturing and loving. And I picture her walking to the Nile River and with every step saying, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I don't understand. I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust you. I see her get to the Nile River and she puts this basket down and I, I see her pick up her baby and I imagine she stares at his little face as if to memorize every part of him. And she probably pulls him in and, and kisses him on the face and the forehead and just gets one good last snuggle, saying, God, I trust you. Then I see her put her baby in this basket and tuck him in. She's probably praying that everything would be okay, saying, God, this isn't easy. In fact, this is the hardest thing I've done in my life. And as she closes that basket and releases it into the Nile River, can you imagine what that must have felt like? In that moment, she released what she loved the most and completely surrendered to God. That's not half-hearted surrender. Total surrender says, I'm letting go and I'm trusting you, God. Can I ask you today, are there things in your life that you need to surrender? Things that you need to let go of? That you need to begin to place in the basket and put it in the river and say, God, I trust you? Are there things that you've been concealing for months, that you've been hiding from everyone else because you don't want anyone to see it? I don't want anyone to kill my fun. I don't want my secret addiction to be found. Are there things that you've been hiding that you need to surrender. Maybe it's a fear you need to let go of. There are things in our life today that I believe God is saying, you need to surrender that. You need to let go of it. Mom guilt, let it go. Pride, jealousy, pain, control, let it go. Maybe it's not something but someone that you need to let go of a bad relationship. You need to let go of it and trust God that he's got a plan for you. Maybe it's a hurt. Let go and trust God to heal it. Maybe it's a dream that's been in your heart and it's on the verge of dying and God is saying, will you surrender that to me? Because in due time, when you let it go, I'll come and pick it up out of the water, but I need you to give it to me first. In a few weeks, we're going to be doing child and baby dedications. And I can remember when we were going to dedicate our firstborn, Reese. Now, I had seen baby dedications all my life, so it should be no surprise to you how excited I was to finally have a baby of my own to dedicate. And in true Marissa fashion, I made Reese's dedication a whole deal. The day came, and at that time, we were living in Minnesota and serving in my in-laws church, and my father-in-law was our pastor, and he was the one that was going to be doing Reese's dedication. And he came to us, and just as all of my father-in-law's prayers are, they're very powerful and, and very anointed, and, and we're standing there, and, and he says, God, just as you gave this child to us, we give him back to you. 
And when he said that, I was like, hold up. Uh, you know when you're praying and like one eye pops open just to see like, do they really say that? Kind of like, excuse me, um, this baby's really new. I really like him. I know you weren't a part of the birth, but I was and I think I earned him. I know what it means to dedicate a child. But in that moment, when I heard that, I really wrestled with that thought. I absolutely thought, I trust God. But as I began to really think about it, I was doing everything on my own with Reese. I wasn't fully trusting God. I was micromanaging God, telling him what parts of Reese he could have and what parts I could trust him with. And I don't know what the switch was for me, other than motherhood is hard and you feel defeated most days. But I had this realization that things that I did put fully in God's hands were better. Everything in our life is better when it's in God's hands. That doesn't mean surrendering is easy, but when we can give it all to God, it gets so much better. Everything looks better in my life when my hands are like this. My marriage is better in God's hand. Our finances are better in God's hands. My family, my relationships, my dreams are better when they're in God's hands. When you are surrendered, God can do whatever he wants. But when you hold on to everything, he's not going to come in and, and try to start using the things that you're trying to control. We've got to release it to God. Jochebed had to physically release Moses into the Nile River. She didn't know what would happen. All she could do was trust God. And God responded to Jochebed's faith because God will always respond to genuine faith. You see, at just the right time, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe in the water. And at just the right time, she sees the basket and says, bring it to me. And when they open the basket at just the right time, the baby is crying and the tears begin to spark her maternal instincts. And immediately she thinks, I've got to care for this baby. I've got to rescue this child. You see, that alone was a miracle because Egyptians were raised to hate Hebrews. It even says that she knew this was a Hebrew boy. But the tears of a baby, those were on purpose. God used a, the tears of a baby to soften a hard heart. You see, there's nothing too small that God can't use. There's nothing too seemingly insignificant that God can't use for his kingdom and his glory. Think about that. The first weapon God used in the war against Egypt were the tears of a baby. The princess, she comes down, and her heart was moved by the baby, and it says that Miriam, Moses' sister, she was watching closely. Now, she had watched this whole thing transpire. She was probably around 10 years old, old enough to know things and understand things, and she saw that her mom had a baby boy. She saw her mom not give over this baby. She saw her mom defy Pharaoh's orders. I wonder if she was worried about what would happen to her mom if she got caught. Would they kill her too? This whole time, Miriam is watching her mom lead in faith. She sees her make the basket. She sees her mom lay her baby brother in the basket and then put it in the river. Miriam is watching closely. What's going to happen to my baby brother? Is a crocodile going to get him? Is he going to roll and the basket will tip over? Will the princess who's supposed to hate Jews see the basket and kick it over? What's going to happen? As she's watching all of this unfold, 
she sees that the princess has compassion on this baby, and she goes up to the princess, and maybe she was trying to play it cool and, and be sly, and she's like, I see, I see you got a baby over there. You know, I, I probably know someone that could help you out. You know, if you want, if you want, I could go see if they've nursed the baby for you. And the princess was like, yes, go. Go find someone that can nurse this baby. And I picture her running off. And moms, you know that you've heard this a thousand times before. I see Miriam yelling, mom, 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 mom. You're not going to believe this. Mom, you've got to come. Come now. Usually it's a dead bug that I'm getting that. So Jochebed gets, gets up and she comes and the princess is like, I'd like you to nurse this baby for me. And I imagine Jochebed thinking, wow, God is so good. And not only does the princess want Jochebed to care for the baby, but she says, I want to pay you to do it because God rewards genuine faith. I think this is a picture of what exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask, think, or imagine must be. Jochebed didn't care about money. She surrendered her child and prayed, please, God, let him live. I imagine for those first three months, that's all she prayed. It was enough just to have her child alive, and now she gets more time with him. And on top of that, she's getting paid to do what she loves to do. Do you see how God rewards faith? I bet when the princess said, I'll pay you for it, Miriam's jaw like dropped the floor. Like, what? If she was anything like my kids, she was probably like, Mom, I think I should get a cut because it was me that talked to the princess. But what a foundation of faith that this laid down for Miriam. She watched her mom obey God. She watched her mom surrender and do hard things. She watched her mom walk in the providence of God for the rest of her life. I bet she carried it with her in every situation that if God did it for her, he can do it for me. If God did it then, he can do it now. See, she could always go back to this moment, but the only reason she could was because her mother said, I'll go first, and she brought her children on the journey with her. You see, I think it's great for us to teach our kids about Jesus, to speak about Jesus, but I think we've got to bring them on the journey. You see, our kids don't just need to know about Jesus, they need to see Christ in our lives. I heard a story recently about a father and a son. They were sitting down, playing together, just spending time together, and the son said, Dad, I've got a question. What's a Christian? So his dad sat there and he thought about it and he began to give this dissertation on what a Christian is. And he gets done and he's thinking to himself, like, I nailed this. I just gave my son the best answer. I'm the dad of the year. And the son was like, oh, okay. A few more minutes passed by and, and the son says, dad, I got another question. Still feeling great about his answer. He's like, sure, what is it? His son said, have I ever met a Christian? When I heard this story, I thought, wow. What a shame to be able to explain what a Christian is, to be able to talk about who Jesus is, to be able to say where you go to church and how often you go to church. But if you don't ever see Jesus in me, if my life isn't marked differently because of my relationship with Christ, then I have failed. It doesn't matter if I can talk all day about Christ. Until I begin to walk the walk, nothing changes. People don't just need to hear, they need to see it. And your actions are more powerful than your words. Jochebed had three incredible children. She left a legacy. 
We don't know the biography of who Jochebed was, but I imagine she reproduced who she was. She was a faith-filled leader. She was saying yes to God with her whole heart. The reason her children were able to walk in faith and hear from God and change the world is because she did it first. So today, I want to challenge us. Will you go first? Can we go first in our homes and with our families? Can we go first in creating an atmosphere of faith and live our lives like Jochebed and show our children firsthand the faithfulness of God? When we go to work, can we be the, the people who let others see Jesus in our life? Can we go first with a good attitude? Can we be the first one to apologize? Can we be the first one to forgive? Can we be the first to show love and to believe the best? Can we go first to believe in miracles and to pray for people? Can you go first and break that addiction pattern in your family? You know, I'll model the behaviors of what Christ has called us to do. I'll be the one to fight for destiny. I'll fight for my children. I'll fight for my family and for my friends and my coworkers because I know greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So will you go first today?